This episode is brought to you by Auth0. That's Auth0.com. In this episode, we get to speak with senior front-end web developer, Todd Libby. We discuss... Accessibility and inclusivity. Hey, I'm Sarah Vestlov. And I'm Frederick Philip Von Weiss. And thank you so much for consuming the Thunder Nerds, a conversation with the people behind the technology that love what they do and do tech good. Welcome to the show, everybody. We have a, a pretty good one today. We have actually two guests and we'll, we'll get into that. Sarah, why don't you start us off with our sponsor? Yeah, first I wanna go ahead and give a shout out to our sponsor, Auth0. Auth0 makes it easy for developers to build a custom, secure, and standards-based unified login from providing authentication and authorization as a service. Uh, so do us a favor, try them out now Go by going to auth0.com. And we also want to tell you, if you can, go ahead and subscribe to the show. Hit the subscribe button, hit the notification button, and join us in uh, live chat with the show. That being said, without any further ado, let's go ahead and welcome our guest. We have senior front-end web developer and lobster roll connoisseur, Todd Libby. Welcome to the show, Todd. Thank you. It's uh, great to be here. Yeah, it's Appreciate great to have you. Uh, we've been talking a lot and super excited to have you on the show. And just to also mention everybody, we have a uh, guest host, uh, which is Chris DeMars. And Chris, are, are you there with us? Yo, 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 what's good? <laughs> nice. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Chris. Chris uh, kind of uh, joined us all of a sudden. Uh, Brian couldn't be with us today, so Chris is stepping in as a guest host with us. Yep, just kill, just chilling, chilling and killing. Just chilling and killing. Love it, love it. So, Todd, where are you actually joining us from? I am in. Uh, well, I'm from Portland, Maine. Right now, I'm in uh, New Hampshire, actually, uh, at my. Uh, other place near where my parents live. I was visiting today, so, but I'll be back in, in, in Maine later on. But yeah, it's, I'm a New Englander, Maine, New Hampshire. You always been? Is that, that where uh, you're gonna stay forever? Is that your, uh, your main place? <laughs> uh, as much as I love lobster rolls and, and lobster, no, I'm actually, I actually lived in uh, California for a while, Southern California. I was in Anaheim and uh, La Jolla for uh, five years. Oh, wow, nice. And uh, worked at uh, a variety of places in my uh, younger days of being a <laughs> a uh, troubadour of trouble, as I like to call it. So, um, but yeah, most of my life has been spent in New England, Maine, and New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah. you can hear it. I'm I'm originally from Boston, as I I told you before we started the show. And but a lot of people don't hear it until I get really mad or really tired, and I'm like, get in the car, and it's just like it's all downhill from there, all downhill. And I can do a killer impression of both of my parents, which I'm not going to do here because that's not. <laughs> I'm from uh, Jersey, but I, I lost my accent apparently a long, long time ago. I've been here for way too long in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> so you're visiting your family. Uh, how's the whole COVID situation going for you? Speaking of uh, traveling around. I'm trying to keep the travel down to a minimum, but um, traveling has been, uh, as you, as we all know, kind of uh, cut back a lot. Um, I had some conferences I had planned on going to that were canceled due to the right, you know, I think everybody made the right call at those conferences. Um, everybody uh, in my immediate family is doing fine. Um, my sister and my mother were sick for a little while, but I don't think it was COVID related. Um, and I know my mother wasn't sick because of COVID. My sister, who works for the state of New Hampshire at the Veterans Home, uh, 
she had an issue with them not testing her originally uh, because she had fallen sick uh, and they wanted her to return. And um, I think she did end up getting tested, but we're all here and we're all doing as well as we can be. So um, it's a day at a time and uh, healthy so far. Happy to hear it. So uh, what's up with your shirt? Uh, t tell us about the shirt for our audio listeners. You have a pretty interesting story here with, with the shirt. You got to go back and take, take a look at the video. The shirt is, uh, I did this originally as a design on Cotton Bureau. Um, and uh, the money went to uh, two charities um, for that. It was uh, Girls Who Code, Black Girls Code. Uh, this time around, it's still up on the website. Um, and I can give you the links for that um, afterwards. I want to, there was a high demand for different sizes and colors that weren't available the first time around. And I actually got in touch with some people at Cotton Bureau. Um, to give it another run after the original run had ended. Um, and it's sold like, I, I, I was very surprised at the amount that was sold. Um, I believe it was uh, 50 or 60 shirts that were sold in that, in that run. So um, this time around, I want to uh, take the money, the proceeds, uh, from sales and donate that or give to uh, Black Lives Matter. That's excellent. How, what was your experience? I, I know you had some kind of, um, we, we were talking uh, last week or maybe it was this weekend about you had an experience with, with the Black Lives Matter movement. Do you mind going into that? I went to a protest in Portland, Maine. Um, and I, was there doing what I can to show my support. Um, I am taking a really, really hard look at what I didn't understand before as my whiteness um, and how being a white male has benefited me throughout my entire life, just not, you know, not just my career in tech, um, how it's benefited me in ways in and out of tech. Uh, and uh, it, it gave me a good look at um, what my friends are feeling. Um, and the landscape of what's going on as far as we need to dismantle a system that's very, very suppressive against black people, in my opinion. Now, I'm not the guy that go into really, you know, uh, great length and detail about it, um, but from what I've been learning about the system, learning about the movement. Um, I need to look at how my whiteness has benefited me. And uh, that's what I've been doing for the past uh, couple weeks is reading a lot and um, listening. Yeah, I, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people don't have any um, real perspective of how their, uh, as you put it, whiteness affects the, everyone else if you're quiet about things, if you don't speak up, if you're complacent, if you just let things go. Um, it's, and it's amazing how everyone now is getting together. And I think we have a really good chance to change the world uh, with this. I hope so. I really, really do. I see a lot of people 
um, on Twitter especially that are angry, that are hurting, and it's under it's understandable, though I don't fully understand it. I will never fully understand it because how other people are feeling because I'm not a black man. I am a white male that has gone through life unscathed. Um, and I was thinking the other day as I drove by a, <laughs> a state trooper that, you know, how many times have I, you know, driven by a police officer, you know, going well over the speed limit, for instance, and not getting pulled over or, you know, running red lights and, and little stuff like that, which has, uh, which has caused me to reflect on how I have benefited from um, an unequal, unequal system. Yeah, and it's interesting too how the administration, this this president specifically, um, is the personification of, uh, at least in in my opinion, uh, my personal opinion of uh, of evil, honestly, and and the the reflection of everything that's been going on, uh, as far as uh, providing uh, a lot of these uh, evil forces to. Um, uh, exist and uh, flourish under his administration. I mean, uh, you saw just r the racist uh, and uh, crimes just when his like first two weeks of being elected just like went sky high. It's 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 yeah. I mean, he he pretty much endorses the KKK. This 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 guy needs to go. And yeah, I I, I don't I don't see how anyone at this point. Is I mean, it, it's going to really illustrate in November if this guy even loses by like a little bit. You know what I mean? Like if he loses by forty percent, I'm still going to be disappointed. He he needs to lose by a hundred percent. Yeah, well, I I agree. Um, I, we all know that he won't unfortunately lose by a hundred percent, but. Uh, well, that's Ted. Uh, what I see is it mirrors a. There are a lot of similarities between him and another um, infamous historical figure who I won't, I don't think I have to name. Um, and mannerisms and the way he acts and just the loose canon, I guess, for the lack of a better word, uh, mentality that he has. Um, I really, really wish that uh, Jack Dorsey would um, take away his Twitter. Uh, that is the, probably the first step to drowning out a lot of the the lies and the and the fear mongering. Um, and people say tech is not political. Well, I'm sorry, but it is. <laughs> that's just that's just the way it is it, tech is political whether you want to hear it or not uh, and I can tell you it's political because from day one when I started 20 some odd years ago it's political there's no way you know around it uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey have made it political and other you know Silicon Valley has made it political so uh when i see <laughs> when i see um people say you know leave leave politics out of tech well you know it's it's deeply rooted in tech is deeply rooted in politics and and vice versa so you see the politics in tech all the time with white male domination I think it's funny you say that because I've had a, I've had conversations um, with some people. There's this outward impression 
because um, I, I mean, I work remote. I live in Florida, rural Florida, um, but I work for Silicon Valley companies. Um, and my experience has been that, just as you said, tech companies are very political um, and they tend to fall onto the conservative side of political. The, the undertones, the way that they are run, the things that they support, maybe not publicly, but the things that they support with their money. And it's interesting because I've had these conversations with people and they're like, oh, they see these companies as, as kind of these um, liberal, uh, it, like if, if any politics they stand for, it's liberal, right? They say, oh, but look at Google, you know, do no harm or do, don't be evil and all of this stuff. And I'm like, that is not at all how these companies are. When you are in this company, when you're working for this company, the things that you see, the things that you hear, things that you experience, I mean, they're so conservative. And the, the bottom line is how much money can we make? And, and how much can we make for the people at the top? Um, and it's frightening. It's really frightening. Sorry, yeah, just like, <laughs> I was just remembering this conversation where there, you know, there, there's this, this false kind of sense that they're, they're all about, um, you know, empowering people and they're not, they're about empower, empowering themselves and other corporations. That, yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, you can have all the amenities that you want. You know, you can have a playground and a, and a, and a coffee uh, bar and a bar and a masseuse, you know, two doors down from your office and uh, have this campus of, of, you know, it's like a big giant playground for uh, your workers, but the, um, the product you put out and the head of your company, whether it's, you know, a CEO or you know, whatever title, um, highly reflect on that. And what we've seen in the past few years with Facebook and Twitter um, and Amazon and Google, and I mean, the list goes on and on, it's not, uh, it's, it's political to the point where, uh, you know, you have these companies there, um, as far as I know, supporting the people they want to support. So that means tech is political. There's no way around it, in my opinion. Yeah, and it's also interesting too how you brought up the point. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a boys' club. It's it's white men, and I, I think I saw a tweet just um, a few hours ago too. How uh, who is it? Uh, is uh, Femka? Everybody, I'm sure knows Femka. She was uh, had a tweet that was talking about how she sees so many people in her age group uh, with the same experience as in her uh, role as managers, but she doesn't see, she sees a lot of males having that uh, privilege getting to be managers, but not a lot of females. So, you know, it, it's, 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 um, it's a weird, it's a weird thing with, with tech and some of these companies, right? Very. Um, and I've never worked for a Silicon Valley company and I probably, I am not the type that would probably fit into a typical Silicon Valley company, um, just for the fact that um, I am a little on the defiant side. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I have, uh, over the years, I have tried to develop a code of ethics that I can put forth in my work so that I can live with myself after the work day is over and say, you know, I did my work. I didn't do it for evil. I did it for good. You know, I created something that I can be proud of. And um, I, I go by that, those rules. And um, I just, I try to be better than I was yesterday is basically my number one motto uh, and, tr and, and just try to do good. Well, speaking about what, oh. I'm sorry, go ahead, Sarah, please. All right. 
we're always interrupting each other. It's like our thing. <laughs> but I think we were going to say the same thing. I, I, I got to be honest. I don't know a lot about your background um, and and what you've done. So I'd love to hear more about your career, how you got into tech, and and what you're doing. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of your viewers don't know who I am. <laughs> so uh, I started way back in. It was third or fourth grade where I saw a Commodore Pet 2001. Now that's going, I'm dating myself here. Um, and if you cut my leg off, you could probably carbon date me and count the rings. But um, it was, it was third or fourth grade, and I just remember seeing whatever it was on the screen and saying, wow, you know, how does, it, how does that work? And then we moved from my parents, my family, my, my parents and my sister and I moved from Portland, Maine to New Ham rural New Hampshire. Um, and that was in the middle of my fifth grade year. And I remember walking into the new school and they had a math room that had two or three Commodore PET computers. One had the original Oregon Trail running on it. And I said, I, that, I want to make something like that. I remember just looking at it and being fascinated by it. That was the game. That was the game. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, and I knew I was never good at it. <laughs> I was never any good at it. But it was anybody? Um, it was really difficult. <laughs> I think everybody died of dysentery at least six times. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I remember just. They had math games and they had spelling games. They had all these games on cartridges. And the cartridges went into the computer themselves. And um, I was just fascinated by the computer. So when my family got around to buying a Commodore 64, and I know I hear it all the time when I you know, watch or listen to, to the podcast where almost everybody's had a Commodore 64 in their life. And we had one, and I remember going through the, the, the instruction manual and doing everything in the instruction manual in like two or three days. Uh, and that's how I learned basic. And from there, we went to, as, as time progressed, um, and I actually made uh, those old choose-your-own-adventure books, I ended up um, making those into basic games, putting them on five and a quarter inch floppies and selling them to people for like 20 bucks a pop. Um, nice. So that's how I got into programming. You know, as, as like I said, as time progressed, you know, and computers evolved, we got the, the IBM computer, the IBM desktop computer. Um, that's how I learned HTML and CSS using Mosaic, Netscape Navigator, and Internet Explorer 3, maybe? 3 or 4? One of the two. Um, and my first books were uh, Sam's learn your learn uh learn html xhtml in 21 days which i blew through and like uh, it was it was a really thick book it was like two and a half inch thick uh book um i think i finished that in like a week or so and then i saw the the book that really changed it for me was i was in a walden books in a mall and I saw this orange book, and the bright colors usually catch my eye for whatever reason. So I picked it up, and there was a guy on the front. He was wearing a blue beanie. <laughs> and I said, this is interesting, because it was from his top lip up. 
And I opened up and I read the first chapter in Walden books. And I said, okay, I'm getting this book because everything fell into place. Oh, this is how you make a website. And that was, of course, Designing with Web Standards by Jeffrey Zeldin. Um, so I bought that, I read that, I looked the examples in the book and um, still have the book on my bookcase too. Um, and then just went from there. And, you know, it's been, I've never really settled for learning and sticking with one thing. It's always been, I just have this curiosity with pretty much everything in, in web design and development. Well, let me ask you, you consider yourself a, you're a, a, a front-end developer, right? Uh, a, a senior front-end developer. What does that entail for you? Like, what is your, uh, what is your catalog of skills? I have dabbled in uh, Rails, Ruby, um, PHP mostly, uh, mostly over my it was maybe 15 to 16 years of freelancing, working remotely from home. Um, PHP and WordPress were my two main uh, backend skills. And um, with, the, with the front end, I had a focus on WordPress sites and web standards. Um, and along the way, there was, of course, Perl and all those ancient languages. Um, I even dabbled in Flash and ActionScript for a while. Um, now, I'm more out of the PHP arena and more into the, and of course, along the way, I should say, was JavaScript's been a constant little thing. Um, but now it's, I have this fascination with static site generators like uh, the one I use for my site, Eleventy. I love Eleventy. Um, you know, Jekyll was an, another static site generator. I use Middleman and Hugo and all these new technologies. Um, those are what fascinate me right now. And uh, you know, I have skills in other areas because working by myself mostly throughout my career i've had to adapt to learning how to do user experience for instance or ui design um so it's kind of like a, a buffet of everything that i could learn i've i've, I've tried to learn as much as i can You also do a little bit of uh, accessibility as well, right? Yes. Um, lately, and late, by lately I mean in the past five, six years, um, I have focused on accessibility because I have seen uh, friends and family that uh, they, they have a hard time accessing websites or using an application and uh, 2019 I went to UX Burlington and I uh, was on the track I was in I was at Krista Mars's talk for accessibility and that just rekindled everything after hearing him and meeting him in Burlington that rekindled all the stuff that I had learned up until that point for progressing and learning new stuff and advocating more and educating myself more, as well as educating and advocating, uh, educating clients and prospective, you know, prospective clients uh, and, and advocating for people whose voices aren't heard. And uh, when I saw that tweet that I sent you, uh, Frederick, I, 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 
I wasn't surprised um, because I've, you know, run into that um, same issue and I don't have that in front of me, but. Um, well, I have it here. I have it in the doc. So um, the tweet was, well, I'll get to the context of the tweet and then we'll dive into it. Uh, it was, uh, and I'm going to read this. Today, my dad cried over the phone. He wanted one week where he could use the computer without help. He's blind. Each inaccessible web page tells him, quote, you aren't welcome in this world, unquote. If you don't know whether your website or app is accessible, it's not. Start learning. So that was the, the context of the, uh, of the tweet. Do you want to dive into that and uh, explore that a little bit, Todd? Yeah. Um, I think we all have a duty as designers and developers to educate ourselves, to, uh, to do the work and to make what we're working on accessible for everybody. Because that's what accessibility is. That's um, <clears throat> accessibility is just not a checklist of things to check off and say, okay, I've got this list done. Now let's move on to the next thing. Um, accessibility is a web that is accessible for everybody, no matter what, you know, regardless of age you know, gender, sex, you know, whether you like hamburgers or cheeseburgers, it shouldn't matter whether you got a 2G connection or a 5G connection, you know, whether you got dial up or whether you have, you know, the, the fastest internet speeds available to man. Um, everybody in the UN also recognizes that Accessibility is a human, it's a basic human right. Um, so when I see developers that shrug it off or developers that say it's not a concern, that, <laughs> that, uh, that really, really honestly aggravates me to no end because you know if you're building the next greatest say uh social app for pictures uh you're an instagram rival for instance and you're not making it accessible you're shutting out a lot of people um i know and i've seen um, a couple of friends, uh, their relatives have uh, motor skill impairments and uh, using some websites are just, they can't. And seeing the frustration on their faces makes me double down and go on Twitter and get up on my soapbox and, you know, shout from the rooftops. You know, it, it's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We need to do a better job. We're breaking the web. I still, uh, with the WebAIM million uh, website report that just came out, um, it's gotten worse from the year prior. So, you know, whether, whether you want to admit it, whether you want to, you know, do the work or not, developers and designers, I feel, need to be, I mean, you don't have to go and read the specs. You should have a, 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 an understanding that we need to make things accessible for everybody and not shut people out, which is what basically is developers and designers are doing when they, um, you know, when they make things inaccessible. 
What do you think it is? I'm curious what your thoughts on this, because I've had this battle many, many times with many different people at many places, and I've done front-end development, and and now I I mostly do uh, user experience design. Um, But what I often come up against is this idea that it is something you do that's really hard and takes a long time and then you check it off a list. And it, it always really confounds me because really it's about understanding the basics and checking those off as you go. Um, as you build a component, you know, each component, make sure it's accessible. As you do each design, consider, you know, one of the things that you have to think about is, you know, did we consider um, every, every user? Um, Color contrast. It, it, well, I mean, it's it's way more than just color contrast. I think a lot of people tend to think, you know, that's what they think of when they think of accessibility. But it, well, I'm just throwing that yeah. example out. Yeah, yeah. It just so I guess I'm curious what you think is this big this big hang up that people have. What is stopping people from from shifting that their perception of it as this huge thing that takes forever to just a daily check? Like, yes, I've done this. Yes, I've I've considered this. Ego. There is a vast amount of ego in tech. Uh, I myself have had that ego. And I literally had uh, somebody tell me years ago, um, it's not about you, it's about the user. And that same person also said, who was a great mentor for me. Um, that same person told me, uh, you're not making this for you. You're making this for other people. You're making this for the user. So I think it is, I think it's ego mixed with um, in some cases, it might just be to make a paycheck. In other cases, it may also be that um, they just don't know. That they just think it's, a, like you said, a daunting task. It's not a daunting task. HTML by itself is very accessible. Yeah. Uh, HTML and CSS are probably two of the more pro- accessible programming languages that I know. And yes, they are programming languages. <laughs> um, and I know that's another battle, but as far as what I think, though, you know, why I've talked to a lot of people about this and I've upset a lot of people about this. Um, And I've had a lot of people get defensive and say, you know, that's just not, you know, I, I care. And I said, well, if you really did care, you would advocate and educate more. Well, I don't want to lose the client. Well, I get it, especially these days where we have what's going on mm-hmm. around us and you can't afford to lose a client, for instance. I get that. But at the same time, I have literally said to potential clients, I want to set X amount of hours aside for accessibility and testing. They didn't want to put that in the budget. And so I said, I can't do this then. You'll have to find somebody else. A few of them have come back later on. I actually had a company uh, contact me recently, uh, about a month ago. And I did some consulting with them on how they can make their product and their website more accessible. So. And I sent them to the places that I feel could help them out, or the, and the people that could help them out. 
it's basic, you know, it's not, it's not just alt tags. It's not just color contrast. It's not just, you know, um, running something through a checker and then just saying, okay, we're done. It's, it's testing with people with disabilities. It's using one of many, uh, websites that I've, I've seen. I mentioned a few on my website too, uh, for color contrast in the different types of, um, vision impairments that, that people have, um, you know, ratios and, and this, you know, ratios for text, small text, big text ratios for components. Um, so, I think it's a mix of ego grabbing that paycheck and just fear of the unknown. Uh, and yeah, I found out through a, a long time of being stubborn myself that just because I'm offended, it doesn't mean I'm right. And usually when I get defensive, when I'm told something I don't want to hear, it's my subconscious saying, yeah, maybe you screwed up there. So maybe you should fix this. And I think that has a large part to do with it too. So you, you can bang out the best stuff on a, you know, in a JavaScript framework, but it doesn't mean it's the, the right choice or the best choice. And I'm not picking on JavaScript frameworks or JavaScript, uh, but I believe there's a time and a place for, for that. For instance, my website used to be powered by WordPress. I used to have a lot of clients on WordPress sites. I got sick and tired of them getting hacked weekly, it seemed. So I just, uh, that's when I made the move to static site generator. Um, I think people need to open their eyes and look at the big picture and what we're doing because of, you know, like I mentioned before, the WebAIM report. Um, and I mean, a, a large amount of the, web, of the web right now is just sites that aren't even being used. And um, a good reference to learning more about that would be Jerry McGovern in his new book, Worldwide Waste. Um, it's a phenomenal book, and I recommend people read it and follow him on Twitter. Well, what are some resources besides the one you just mentioned for um, someone listening to this and going, you know, I, I guess I could do a little bit better or I, I definitely need to do a uh, way better. Where, where do they go? Um, I would first, if you want to learn more, I would start doing testing on your own stuff like you know your own personal site uh download and use the 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 wave uh accessibility checker firefox has accessibility tools built into the dev tools um i'm not a chrome user so i'm not you know real familiar with the their tools but i know that you know lighthouse is in the chrome dev tools uh there's the uh, Axe um, accessibility tools by DQ. Um, I would tell somebody, you know, go to levelaccess.com and sign up for their webinars. Derek Featherstone has some great uh, webinars with people in the industry about accessibility. And they have um, other webinars on other uh, 
topics as well. Um, DQ had a, a bunch of stuff during, um, uh, it was maybe a couple of weeks ago for Global Accessibility Day. Um, there are, I mean, if you, if you search for, you know, accessibility, it, you know, you're going to find a ton of stuff. And, you know, I am more than happy to direct people in a, in a direction and give them names and, you know, follow the people in accessibility on Twitter, if you're on Twitter. Uh, and there are so many of them out there. There, It would take me another episode to get through the, the list. Um, but they're out there. Find them. Follow them and hear what they're saying. Um, but start with your own stuff. You know, put your website through, through a, a, an accessibility check and, and go from there. Um, there's Slack groups. I belong to a couple Slack groups myself that are um, focused on accessibility. And, you know, um, learn, learn that way. Uh, one of the people we spoke with recently, because uh, we, we touch a lot on this subject, was Chris DeMars. And you should definitely, if you don't know uh, his work and about him, we'll put a link in the show notes. And he does a, a lot of talks about this very same subject. And um, when we had him on, as, as we discussed earlier, Todd, there was a one moment where... Uh, I didn't know about this uh, media spin that they put on this thing with the McDonald's cup of coffee. And I was truly fascinated to learn because I made a comment to Chris about this where, oh yeah, it's like somebody getting, you know, coffee spilled on them and then saying the coffee was hot. Of course, of course the coffee was hot. Little did I know that that was actually uh, a whole media spin thing because that happened when I was a little kid. And, but what I, I didn't realize as I grew up was the true story that went into that which was this, this woman had an actual authentic experience with this. And it was, it was, it was very serious and quite tragic and sad. Uh, do you mind going into uh, that a little bit and the whole media spin of uh, some of these things? Yeah. Um, it was 1992. Um, I was, I, I had just turned 21. And, uh, I remember, I, I remember, and I think I tweeted this to you when I had seen that, uh, Twitter thread about, you know, the whole topic. Yeah. And I said, I remember like it was yesterday yeah. and I don't, and I, I don't know why, but it's one of those things that has stuck with me, um, and the, the woman, Stella Liebeck was her name, lived in Al Albuquerque, New Mexico. She was with her grandson in a McDonald's parking lot and was taking the lid off a cup of McDonald's coffee. Well, she had spilled that coffee in her lap and it ended up causing third degree burns on her legs and her inner thighs, inner thigh area. Uh, come to find out, coffee, I believe, <laughs> from when I worked in restaurants, um, was 160, 150 to 160, you're supposed to serve coffee at. McDonald's coffee was 180 to 190. That in itself is bad enough. And I remember saying, well, how hot could it have been? You know, we, we kind of, we, we tend to, you know, think of a oh, hot coffee as well. Oh, I burnt my lips on my tongue on it. So it can't be that hot. Well, you know, if anybody has looked into it and done the, you know, a little research on it, the photos of her in the hospital are pretty grisly. I mean, there were skin grafts, and it was, like you said, a lot of damage. Um, so the media 
what started out as a 600, I believe, word uh, article in the, in the Albuquerque paper, AP and Reuters picked it up. That turned into a 400 word um, article. And then when it went worldwide, which it did real fast, it went from 400 words down to sometimes even 50 words in a, in a newspaper. So that's like, uh, you know, that's like me saying, hey, Sarah, uh, you know, uh, the guy across the street, uh, he, he, was using his, he was using his saw and he cut his hand off. And then, that, Sarah, you go to Frederick and you say, uh, you know, Todd told me this guy was, you know, across the street, he was using his saw and he chopped his hand off and went over and he chopped his neighbor's hand off or something like that. You know, it was just a major spin by the media who dragged this poor woman for miles. I mean, this, this went international in, in no time. And not only that, it's been a pop culture reference for years. And it's still, you know, I, I still see uh, remnants of that. It was, a, it, was a, uh, it was mentioned in Futurama, Seinfeld. Uh, there was a country song. I don't listen to country music, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who it was or, you know, but I remember there was a country song that was mentioned in. Um, late night you know late night talk shows um i remember vividly jay leno not a big fan <laughs> um just hammering away with his his jokes um and uh you know there was political cartoons you know and the hbo film hot coffee really does a good job in putting it out there and telling the real story of what happened. Uh, just because a woman burned herself, she only wanted money. She only wanted McDonald's to cover the medical expenses, which were $20,000 at the time. They wanted, they were willing to give her $800. They were willing to settle for $800. Back then their slogan was, you deserve a break today. I don't see much of a break there, but um, I think punitive damages were, and I'm no lawyer, I'm no attorney, I'm not, uh, legal expertise is nil. <laughs> so um, punitive damages, however, she was right around $2.7 million she was awarded originally. The judge knocked that down to six hundred thousand. McDonald's, I believe, appealed. They knocked that below five hundred thousand. Um, and there were, you know, it was there was two years of physical therapy for her, and just you know every time it was brought up in, in pop culture or on the news, the family had, go, had to go through the same stuff all the time and relive this. It wasn't McDonald's first foray into legal problems either. I mean, there's plenty of problems they've had. And that year, I think where I read, there were 700 cases of hot coffee being spilled on, on a customer. Back then, they never had the warning label on the cup or the lid that said, you know, caution hot, like we see now. This was the impetus for that. This was the case that I believe propelled all that, you know, the warning labels and everything on, on hot beverages. Um, and it was, I remember thinking when I first originally heard it, she hit the lottery. And I think a lot of people thought that as well. Uh, and she didn't hit the lottery, you know. She 
I mean, back then, just a shade under $500,000 was a lot of money, but she didn't hit the lottery, you know? She, you know, she went through a trauma, a traumatic incident, and big corporation, again, um, looking out for themselves and not their customers. Yeah, it's amazing how, you know, how you talk about, like, even citing Jay Leno, how <laughs> things like that totally distort reality all for this corporate greed and um, uh, not getting to the true story and how that got distorted over time. It's, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, you know, Todd, unfortunately, we're getting, uh, we're getting pretty short on time. We're almost, uh, we're all almost at the end of the show. And I, I think we, we're just going to have to have you back on to do another one of these to, to get some more, <laughs> more out. I, I, we had like a, uh, got a hundred other things to talk about, but since we're uh, right at the end, there's two questions that we like to ask the guests at the end. Uh, first thing is how can people find out more about you? What's your Twitter handle and what's your uh, website address for our audio listeners? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, my name, Todd Libby, T-O-D-D-L-I-B-B-Y. Uh, my website is toddl.dev. Um, I right now am writing uh, a, a couple of other articles that I'm going to post. I'm just uh, getting back into some work after taking a little bit of time off uh, last week. Um, I have um, a Twitch channel that I'm not really good at going on and streaming, but I do that as well from time to time. It's twitch.tv uh, slash Todd Libby. And, you know, feel free to follow me if uh, any, anybody has any questions, wants to chat. Um, my DMs are open, um, even for the hecklers. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that's, those, are the, those are the main places you can find me at. Excellent. And, Todd, last question is, any final words for the audience? Any kind of words of wisdom here at the, at the end? Yeah. Um, be good to each other. Um, open your mind and be inclusive. Um, and I know we hear it, we see it all the time on Twitter, but, you know, black lives do matter. Black disabled lives matter. Uh, you know, trans women are women, trans men are men. Let's be inclusive. Um, just, yeah, just, you know, there's, there's so much going on right now that we need to fix and it's going to take a group effort to fix you know not exclusive groups mind you inclusive you know everybody so uh, yeah and yeah just be good to each other well said sarah sarah do you have anything uh, no, I just really, we got to do this again. That was really fascinating. Thank you. I really enjoyed uh, chatting with you today. Yes, thank you. And uh, it, was, it was my pleasure, definitely. And, and I'm up for another one if, if you are, so. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it, Todd. Um, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll see you again really soon. Take care, everybody. Have a great night. For consuming the Thunder Nerds. We honestly and sincerely appreciate you watching and or listening to the show. Please subscribe on YouTube and
and iTunes. Write us for you, keep a few stars our way. And above all else, please remember to send your favorite book suggestions to Brian Hinton. I, I like romance novels. They have happy endings. Oh man, I am rude. I am, I am rude. <laughs> oh, I guess no one's blocked me. That's shocking. <laughs> exactly. I love Frederick. I love Frederick. I love Frederick. I love Frederick. I should have known the Terrator didn't mean us any harm when the Sword of Omens didn't obey me. And anyway, it was just plain stupid to assume it might be bad. Just what the <laughs> fuck am I talking about?